0: In this. Uh, I want to, before we jump into the sermon, I want to pray for a need in a country. And I think a good place to start, I was praying this morning for our missionaries in Pakistan. And I want to bring your attention to a couple of things. There's a, a little book uh, by David Platt's organization called Radical that's really focused on praying for and sending missionaries to unreached places around the world. And this uh Pakistan We've we've covered before, but I think it's always good to remember because we can just get so uh, numb to stories, and we kind of forget. Oh yeah, Afghanistan and Pakistan have great need, but Pakistan has 220 million people. They have 500 total people groups, and 504 of them are unreached. So most of the groups of people in Pakistan. Do not know a Christian. And this is the standard. I've, there have been times where I've had fa- a family member reach out and say, do you know a good church in my area? And so can you imagine if you have family in Pakistan and they say, I need hope. Do you know of a Christian? And then you would have to say, no, I don't. I don't know anybody you could talk to in your country. That's, that's the reality of what it's like uh, to be in Pakistan their uh, largest unreached people group has 32 million people in it. Almost the size of three Illinois without believers in it. Can you imagine? And so, I, uh, just this week, we were actually talking in a different scenario, but Pakistan is still one of the two countries in the world that has polio. Still one of the two countries in the world where you can get polio. And there's still... Um, Still great need. There's educational needs. There's all sorts of needs. But let's uh, before we go, let's just pray, Lord, in this generation, can you send and strengthen and equip and empower missionaries from inside the country and from outside the country to come and reach these 220 million people there in Pakistan? Father, we pray right now that you would raise up within the country of Pakistan and from outside Pakistan, missionaries to go to these unreached people groups to share the gospel and to plant churches. God, we pray that in this generation that many would come to faith in Pakistan. Still so much hurt, over its history, there's still so much darkness because of the lack of the gospel. Still, so much resistance to that. But nothing is as strong, and no one is as strong as you are. And so, you can tear those things down. And so, we pray right now that you would raise up missionaries for those 504 people groups. Raise them up now. Send them out now. Equip them right now. Pray that those of us that are called to send missionaries from here, Lord, that we would take that seriously with our money and with our prayers. God, I pray that you would keep Pakistan before our minds and our hearts so that we get to participate you in your saving work and get glory from Pakistan. in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and turn with me to First John chapter three. I don't know if you've ever had a, a teacher or a boss. That says the same thing over and over and over, and you go, "We get it." Okay, you know, you tell us this every year at the yearly meeting at the annual Christmas party. You tell us the same thing time after time. You repeat yourself time after time. Well, maybe we kind of roll our eyes at a, oh, We'll say maybe you got a preacher that repeats himself over and over and over. Heaven forbid, but. Preacher that repeats himself over and over and over. But the, the response could be, but it, if it's still the thing that we need, then it's worth repeating. And I think John, in his letter, First John, would say that to the believers that he's writing to. He has been, over the last several months as we've walked through First John, has been talking about how we can have confidence before God. And so part of me wants to go, John, I get it. But I think John says back to us, no, you don't get it. There are still so many messages from within your heart and from those around you telling you, you need this secret. You need to go this way. You need to, you need to know this thing. And we have to remember that John is writing to believers who have sat with an apostle who can say, I leaned on Jesus. Like, not, not metaphorically, not theoretically. Like, I literally was at the Last Supper. I was the one reclining with Jesus. I, they knew an apostle, and he knows that some are coming in. Remember, these, the enemies he's writing about, these Gnostics, come in and say, you need these secrets. You need these secrets if you really want to walk with God. You need these secrets if you really want to walk with God. And so what those enemies are doing to the believers at this time, and they do it in our day, they do it on TV, they do it on the Internet, they do it on podcasts, they do it on videos, they do it in ads online, they do it in flyers and magazines that are sent to our home, is you don't have everything that you need. And you should be scared that God is holding out on you and that you're missing out. And so John writes to them and writes to us and says, no, you can have confidence before God. And so what I want to show you tonight is is how John says, four ways John says that we can have confidence before God. I'm going to read uh, starting in verse 21 tonight. 21 to 24. Dear friends or beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave, he gave us. Here, this passage gives us four ways that we can have confidence. And the first thing that he tells us is that loving Jesus and loving... Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That we can have confidence before God. Because God is greater than our hearts. I want you to look at verse 21. He says, beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And we go, oh, okay. What do you mean if our hearts don't condemn us? The, verse, the very ver- verse before that, verse 20, says, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Here in verse 21, he is recapping what he has said before. Which is that our, the confidence that a believer has is not ultimately re- re- uh, uh, in himself, but it's in the God that is greater than our hearts. And so he is pointing God's people to find their confidence there. He is calling you and I to find our confidence in the fact that whether our hearts condemn us or don't condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And so we have confidence before God, he says in verses 20 and 21. And so here he starts by saying that as we love Jesus, In previous verses, as we love one another, that we can have confidence before God. And so these secret, these Gnostics, these teachers that come in and say, hey, here's the secret, here's what you have to know so that you can uh, be right before God. If it doesn't sound like loving Jesus and loving one another, if it doesn't sound like trusting in God who is greater than our hearts, then it is a false confidence and instead, he says, beloved, we have confidence before God. second way we have confidence here, he says, is we can pray with confidence when we keep his commands. Look at verse 22. And we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. Like, Think about how amazing of a promise that is. If we, if we ask, if God's people If we ask, we receive from him anything. Because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. Elsewhere in scripture, it tells us that we don't have because we don't ask. Other instruction in in scripture is that sometimes we ask with selfish motives. And so it's the believer that comes to God in faith. With God's priorities in his mind, we can ask for anything and trust that God is answering. And so we can pray with confidence when we keep his commands. And so these enemies that come in and go, hey, here's the secret way so you can pray before God. Here's the, here's the way, here's the things that you need to know so you can... Uh, you can be right with God. Instead, he says, you can have be right with God because you keep God's commands. He's going to get there in a second. But basically, I, I think part of this ends up boiling down to the Christian life and Christian teaching should not lead to more fear and more anxiety and less confidence before God. Not false confidence, Not like, you're good enough, everything's okay, do whatever you want to do. Ask and God's going to give you a jet. Not that kind of a prayer. But if the Christian life leaves us feeling beaten up and beaten down and thinking God does not care about us, God doesn't hear our prayers, then it is a false gospel and a false Christianity. I was actually telling Emma yesterday that there was... A group of teachers that sometimes I find their work interesting. I'm not going to say who it is, but sometimes I find their work really interesting. And, you know, might read a book, might listen to an interview, might listen to a conversation about something. And and so I'll get sucked in a little bit and be like, oh, that's really interesting. That's an author I really love. I want to hear this interview. I told her, but after listening to too many of them, I end up finding I am in despair about my status before God, my leadership as a pastor, and the way that I'm spending my life. And I I was, well, I was picking persimmons the other day, and just like super low. (laughs) She doesn't know this. I was just like, oh gosh, what is wrong with me? And I'm just, and finally I realized, I was like, it's because these teachers don't lead us to Jesus and the glories of the gospel, They don't lead us to the glories of the gospel. They don't lead us to, God listens to your prayers on behalf of Jesus. It's, a did you get this list of things right? And if you didn't, then you are missing out. I think that's what Gnostic teaching is. If our teaching, if our Sunday school classes, if our encouragement in our homes if the things that we read lead us more and more to fearing God and being afraid of everything, instead of glorying in Jesus and trusting that He knows our hearts and is greater than our hearts and is doing something in and through us, then it doesn't sound like God. It sounds like these Gnostic teachers. But then that leads us to, okay, wait, we can pray with confidence if we keep God's commands, what commands are these? What, what commands are these? Tells us we know we don't we can have confidence because we don't have to wonder. Look at verse twenty three. This is the third point. We don't have we know God's commands. We don't have to wonder, so we can have confidence. And this is His command: to believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ and to love one another as He commanded us. The Gnostics come in and say, you need to know this. You need to memorize this. You need to do enough. You need to do more of this. You need to go to these places. You need to hear this teaching. You need to read all these books. You need to get your church structured in all of these different ways. You need all of these different programs. And John comes in and says, we know God's command. Believe in Jesus and love each other. This is the command of God. I think John is taking us back to the conversation Jesus had. What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. I think John is like, like, here's my trump card. Like, I've been with Jesus. I was there when he said the greatest commandment. It's not go to this place, not listen to this thing, not do this program, do this structure, go this many places. He says the greatest commandment is believe in the Lord Jesus and love your neighbor. Love one another. In the church, this is what God has called us to. And so John comes to us and says, What should the church be known for? So the next time you're picking persimmons, if that's what you do, and your heart comes in and condemns, the Spirit comes in and says, Do you believe in Jesus? Do you love his people? That's what God's called you to. The next time somebody comes in, did you do all these things? Did you pray in all these ways with enough faith? Did you claim these mountains and get all of these things? And Jesus comes in and says, did you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus? And did you love his people? I don't think that we should try to lower the amount of things that we, we believe and that we teach. But we also should keep in mind that this is what God has called this is his command and so if you wonder am I right with God if you wonder am I right with God am I walking with God are we getting this stuff right John comes along and says do you believe in Jesus do you love his people that's what God is calling you to this last week I I read something I read it by a pastor and I was like this guy's really strange." Really weird. Then come to find out he wrote a book called, What is the Least Number of Things I Have to Believe to be a Christian? Don't look up this book. I was like, that's like the worst possible title you can have for a book. What's the least amount of things? And I ended up reading, this guy basically denies the whole Bible. Just just like denies all of it. And is still somehow trying to claim to be a Christian. Like I can just... I can throw away Jesus, I can throw away all this, I can throw away God, I can throw away the Bible, I can throw away all of this different stuff. But for some reason, he still wanted to claim to be a Christian. For some reason, he, he still wanted to be a teacher, he wanted to be instructing others. John says, you don't get to separate these. If you will not believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's a lot in that. Believe, name, Lord, Jesus Christ. There's like a whole lot of Bible caught up in that little phrase. He says, but then the command of God is to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and to love each other. And there is a call to us to not separate those. Some in in our culture want to just say, well, if you just love one another, just love each other and be kind to one another if you just approve of each other's lifestyle if you just affirm what everybody else wants to affirm then you then you're in there are others that say we have to get all of the the all of these things right get all of the teachings right do all of these details john says we cannot separate those and i think then in the fourth point he explains why why we cannot separate believing in jesus and loving our neighbor and here he says in verse 24 The one who keeps God's commands lives in him or remains in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. These two things, believing and loving, go together because the spirit living in us works that out in us. Here he says you can have confidence that you are remaining in Christ Some of you, I think one of the classes even today was studying uh, remaining in Christ, abiding in Christ from John 15, I think is what it is. And I, is it 16? Okay. And uh, abiding in Christ. And uh, so they were even studying it today, which that one's like remain in me. And I want to go, Jesus, what do you mean remain in me? Just, he says, remain in me, abide in me, remain in me. Here, John explains to us, that very word. Verse 24. The one who keeps God's commands to believe in Jesus and love one another abides in Him, remains in Him, and He remains in them. And this is how we know that He remains and lives in us. This, this believing and this life that we have wrapped up in Jesus is what creates the loving of one another. Or else Jesus wouldn't have needed to die. We wouldn't have the need to be saved if it was as simple as Jesus coming or John coming along and saying, love your neighbor as yourself. The whole story of the Bible leads us to the point, love your neighbor as yourself. God, I have not and I will not unless you change me. And verse 24 says that he lives in us by the spirit that he gave us. And so the believing creates the loving of one another. And that's what it means to remain in Christ. I, you know what? It's in my notes, the verse I was trying to refer to. John 14. John 14, verse 15 and 16 is the one I was thinking of. And maybe it shows up in other places there in John. But John 14, he says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. This promise, John says, has been fulfilled. John 15 tells us what it's like to abide in Christ and have Christ abide in us. And so he says, we can have confidence in the Christian life because God knows our hearts and God doesn't condemn us. And so now, as we believe in the Lord Jesus and love one another, we don't have to wonder if we're right with God. We can have confidence. God's Spirit lives in us and causes us to love one another. And so, all of this kind of leads us to this point that John keeps hammering home because you and I need to hear it again and again and again. The Christian life should mean confidence, but it's not confidence because we say it's okay. It's not confidence because we ourselves are good enough on our own. Our confidence is that we abide in Christ and through us, God is loving our neighbor as ourselves. Our loving one another this cycle of living and remaining and abiding in Christ is what gives the Christian life confidence. And so when, when teachers come in and say, hey, I know the way, I, let me tell you the secret. This secret says, no, abide in Christ, come to Jesus, believe in Jesus, and through that, love his people. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to be confident that we are right with you, not because we've kept man's rules, not because we've pleased men, but because you in the gospel of Jesus Christ are pleased with us and through us and through that through that approval, through that spirit that you've given us, now we love one another. I pray that that would be true. God, I pray that we would look like and smell like love in this community. I pray that in this church, we would grow more and more and more to live out that love that you are putting into us through the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.